0: It's really interesting what Nicola was praying about earlier, about these revivals that are breaking out in the universities across the states. Do have a look if you can find it on the news. It's really interesting what God is doing. But one thing that has come up time and time again is when revival happens, it starts with confession. And this is what has been taking place. You know, people realizing that their lives need to get right with God. Now, I'm going to let you into a secret. Can I just turn the lectern around? Can you see how tidy it is? (laughs) But just as it was a mess the other week, let's just remember, this is what God desires to do with us too to start putting us back how he made us, to make us right with him, and to fill us with his spirit. I'm going to turn it round again so it doesn't distract you. But the lectern is now tidy. So this week, we're continuing in our series looking at reconnecting with God and reconnecting with each other. And we're going to look this morning at the topic of the spiritual gifts. Because if we're to be connected to God, we've got to be connected to God through what the Holy Spirit does amongst us. So we're going to be exploring that this morning. Now, there's been a lot of news this week, hasn't there? Lots of things have happened. Um, This news headline perhaps has not really um, been top of the agenda, but did anyone see this? Yeah, a few heads nodding. Basically, what had happened, somebody had written a letter a 100 years ago, and it arrived last week. The post office said an error had happened. Uh, Quite a severe error, I think, if it's 100 years late. The person to whom it was written, um, understandably, is no longer with us. They died probably about 70 years ago or something. And this letter was not particularly interesting. The person who got it said it describes the person feeling miserable and having a heavy cold. So not really a kind of earth-shattering letter. But this week, it's been Valentine's Day, hasn't it? What if that letter had been filled with somebody saying, and offering, you know, unrequented love for somebody else? What would have happened then? What if this letter had included a job offer that somebody hadn't been able to take up? A hundred years is a bit of a long delay for either of those two things. That person's life could have actually been less than it could have been because that letter got delayed in the post. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But it just made me think, you know, sometimes as Christians, we live Christian lives that are far less than God has for us. We settle for less than what the Bible talks about. We settle for a Christianity that is not the same as what we find in the New Testament. Now, a few weeks ago, we were looking at the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church, how the Holy Spirit is God, how the Spirit seals us, tells us that we belong to Christ. The Spirit enables us to grow the fruit of godliness within our lives the Spirit also gifts the church with spiritual gifts for the common good to grow and develop the church. Now, spiritual gifts, the minute I mention those two words, for some of us, that will be stoking fear in our hearts already because we've seen these abused and go horribly wrong. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the saying goes. The spiritual gifts are here and are for today. So we're going to unpack a little bit more about what these are about. Now, in human societies, measures of success are are things like what job we have, aren't they? What house we live in, where um, we go on holiday, what kind of car we drive. And we measure ourselves in all these kinds of different ways. But just as Chris has already shared this morning, as the cross is level ground, so the spiritual gifts are level ground. God equips each one of us to play our part in the building up of the church and in the building up of the kingdom. So, if you've got a Bible with you and you want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read from verse 1 down a little bit um, further beyond the end of the section on spiritual gifts just so that we get a sense of Paul's flow and where he's going with this. So, down to verse 13. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Let's pray again, shall we? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you give us gifts in, able, in order to be able to serve you, to serve the church, to serve one another. I just want to pray that you'll give us eyes to see what the Spirit is saying, ears to hear what you're saying this morning. So just open this passage of scripture to us, and we pray that whatever it is that we need to receive from you today, we will receive. In Jesus' name, Amen. A number of years ago, we did look right the way through the book of 1 Corinthians. I don't probably about five, six years ago now. And um, the Corinthian church was a bit of a crazy gathering of people. That's to put it mildly. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that they were all over the show on all kinds of different things. Their sexual morality left a huge amount to be desired. They were bragging about spiritual one-upmanship. They thought some of them thought they were sorted, and it was just chaos basically. This church was chaos. And Paul, as the apostle who was overseeing this church, it gave him just a few headaches. Um, it was a bit of a difficult church to try and iron out the problems. And one of the things that seemed to be underpinning all the problems in Corinth was a basic misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding was this. The pagan world round about them was getting imported into the life of the church. And so the people within the church were living life, still as Christians, with a lot of pagan understanding sort of layered on top of the place. And so Corinth, Corinth was a spiritual city in the broadest sense of the word. Um, There were all kinds of religions there, pagan religions, mystery cults, all kinds of different things. And um, all kinds of things would go on in these religions. People would be involved in soothsaying, you know, looking to the future. People would fall into trances. There was temple prostitution. All kinds of things was going on. And what Paul needed to do was to give this church a new mindset A new framework in how to think about spirituality in the light of Jesus, not in the light of the pagan world in which they were living in. The only boasting that a Christian can do is in the Lord Jesus Himself. It's not in us, it's not in who we think we are, it's not in any kind of spiritual one upmanship, but it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse two. He says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. And so all this kind of experiential stuff that was going on was making people think, well, I'm more spiritual than another person. I'm better because I speak in tongues. I'm better because I do miracles. I'm better because of this, that, and the other. But this isn't how God works. That's pagan thinking. This isn't how God works. God is the God of the level ground. God gifts the Holy Spirit. Each Christian has a part to play. It says in verse 4, the same Spirit distributes them all. Now, we don't live in first-century Corinth. If you read the Corinthian books, you probably think, thank goodness for that. Um, But we don't live in that culture. But our own culture is problematic, isn't it? And, you know, we do well to think about what kinds of things from our culture do we bring into the life of the church that disrupt the work of the Spirit? What do we bring in from outside that actually stops the freedom of the Spirit and the gifting of the Spirit onto the church? You know, we live in a capitalist world, don't we? A world where success is seen by stuff, by status, by all kinds of things. And, you know, I go to various ministers' meetings, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but the inevitable question is, what's your church congregation size? How big is your church? And then you're, you're sort of graded by what size of church you're part of. And we, we measure on numbers, not on faithfulness. When did God ever say that that numbers were the thing? It's faithfulness, it's commitment to him, a desire for the gospel, and we're using uh, sort of models of capitalism onto the church. Now, I was at this Fresh Dreams conference with, with Chris and with George and Sarah in January, and one of the seminars that I went to, this speaker called Steve Upple was talking about how easy it is for the church to inadvertently bring in things from capitalism and the business world into the life of the church and actually quench the spirit, as we do say because we start to put in these measures of human success we start to put in the kind of working practices that would drive people rather than allow people to flourish as God has made them Now that was just one example there could be many many more that we could think of but as we look at the spiritual gifts it's worth thinking what is our pagan world what is it that we do that might be quenching the spirit but let's get in let's have a look at the spiritual gifts what are they well there's a lot of them And the word gift is the same word that is used for birthday present in ancient Greek. I love that. These are God's freely given gifts to the church. You know, If somebody gives you a birthday present, you hope it doesn't come with any strings attached, don't you? You hope it's just, that's it. It's given freely. It's given um, out of love. Now, gifts, these gifts of the Spirit, as we go through them, they are abilities, they're callings, they're manifestations, they're ways of behaving... They're ways of um, being able to offer ourselves um, in sacrificial ways. And Paul makes it clear that every Christian, every follower of Jesus, is gifted in some way. Now, some people will suggest that actually what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 12, what the Bible does, is it gives all this list of things, and then they're available to Christians at any particular moment, and God just gives you the one you need for that moment. Now, I don't actually think that's what Paul is on about. Um, you may disagree with me, that's absolutely fine. But I think what Paul is saying is that each Christian has a part to play within the body of Christ. Each Christian is uniquely equipped for some area of ministry service and some area of calling. Because just think about it if you've been given the gift of being an administrator, you don't want to be doing that for 24 hours and then suddenly find that God's called you to be a missionary the following day. And then the next day, He's going to call you to some kind of um, teaching ministry. That's not how God works. God allows us to grow these gifts, to nurture them, and to develop them. Now, I saw a couple of people get their phones out there, just taking a picture of that. I'm being very fancy this morning. I'll go on to the next slide. If you scan that QR code now, you'll not only get that list of spiritual gifts, but you'll get a document that explains what each of them are. So I'll just leave you a minute. Feel free, if you've got a smartphone, get your phone out. If you've not got a smartphone, it's also been sent out in the weekly news. If that's no good, come to me and I'll print you one out. If you want to carry a pigeon, you're on your own. <laughs> so I'll just leave a minute while you're clicking on there. Please don't read it while I'm preaching, if that's all okay. Please save it to read later. Has it worked? Yeah. yeah, we're getting thumbs up there? That's good. So let's have a look at what these various spiritual gifts are. So the first ones to look at are, are ones about knowing God's heart. Um, things like prophecy, knowledge, wisdom. Don't we need to know what God is saying into our world today? Don't we need to know what God is saying to the church? Not to be us just making it up, but to know what the heart of the Spirit is so we can join in with what the Spirit is already doing. Now we see all these gifts at work within the New Testament. Acts eleven twenty seven 27 to 28 Prophets are given insight by the Lord that a famine is about to hit the land. And it gives the church the chance to prepare. So it gives the church the chance to alleviate what otherwise would have been a period of suffering. Don't we need to know what is on God's heart? To know when to prepare for things, to know when to to run with something, to know when to hang back. The gift of knowledge. Jesus, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus has this incredible conversation with her. And he unpacks her life in front of her, knowing things that he couldn't have known as a human being. The Spirit of God working through him. And what it enables, a gift of knowledge, enables the Word of God to just go straight into the human heart. Because it's like God knows you. God knows you. Wisdom. Don't we need wisdom? Now, wisdom is one of those things that it says, if we pray for it in James 1 verse 5, that God gives it to us. But I think there are some people who have a specific gift of godly wisdom. There are people I will go to if I don't know what to do. People who I know will go and pray, they will delve the scriptures and they will seek God um, for what is a wise response. We need people with wisdom, we need people with those gifts of spiritual wisdom. Then there are the gifts that enrich the church. Things like leadership, You know, if the the church doesn't have leadership, it just stays still, doesn't move forward. And so we need those with leadership gifts to keep moving the church forward. Teaching and preaching gifts, gifts of expounding the scriptures. That would also be those of you who are small group leaders, who are good at sort of opening God's word and encouraging people. And the gifts of encouragement. You know, Paul is a great encourager, isn't he? Because he's always going to the churches, get back to Jesus, get back to your first love stop messing around and get back to what Jesus initially told you to do. So we need all those things in the church. Then there are these ones, revelations of God's power. Now these are probably the ones that cause most um, disruption, I suppose, in the life of some churches. Miracles, healings, speaking in tongues. Now miracles and healings, we did look at this in quite some detail just a couple of weeks back when we were in James chapter five, about praying for one another. So I'm not going to repeat a lot of what I said then, but I think it's worth just pausing for a moment, looking at the gift of tongues, because this is one of the gifts of the spirit, that it was causing havoc in Corinth, and it can cause havoc um, in churches if we get it wrong. But if we get it right and follow the scriptures, actually, it's quite straightforward, I think, what Paul has to say about it. So the gift of tongues was in use in the New Testament, Paul affirms that it's a gift of the Spirit, and it was then in use in the church afterwards as well. And Here's two examples. If you want to look up the, the particular scroll that this Irenaeus quote comes from, you've even got an academic reference there. I don't know why I've left that in. Irenaeus, sometimes in the second century, speaks of many brethren whom he heard in the church, having the gift of prophecy, and of speaking in diverse tongues, bringing the hidden things of men to light and expounding the mysteries of God. So that's sometime in the second century, about 100 years after the book of 1 Corinthians is written. Going into the century after that, into the third century, Tertullian, one of the greatest thinkers of the early church, one of the so-called church fathers, writes in 207 of the use of tongues and interpretation. And so what we find is that actually in those centuries after um, the, the, the Bible is finished, the Bible is complete, that there are these speaking in tongues, there is the prophecy, it's continuing. It continues into the life of the early church. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about, he says in verse 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I think that is what is key, isn't it? Underpinning everything that we do in a church is love. If we're not loving one another, if we're not wanting the absolute best for the church and for one another, it doesn't matter how spiritual we think we are, We're just this resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, if I went and whacked one of those cymbals really hard now, it'd be a bit distracting, wouldn't it? If I kept whacking it, it would get really annoying. And over time, you'd be thinking, will he just shut up and go home? But that's what tongues can be like if they're used in the wrong way. But used in the right way, used as the scriptures open it to us, what a blessing this particular gift can be. In Acts chapter 2, the spirit falls at Pentecost. And people speak in languages they've not learned. Just imagine being able to do that, and other people understand what you're saying. What a gift of the Spirit that was at Pentecost. But from from that verse from Paul and that description in Acts, what we find is that tongues is both unlearned human languages, but also the language of heaven, the language of the angels. And it's both and. And Paul is very clear. If this is spoken out in a Christian gathering, in a gathering of believers, it must come with an interpretation. It must be interpreted. Otherwise, there isn't really any point in it. And in Acts 2, the interpretation is obvious because it's human languages, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, Paul talks about people having the gift of interpretation. So one person speaks out in tongues, another person is able to then say what has taken place. But it then says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and so to God. Very clear. Paul is really clear on this. So why speak in tongues? Why is this something that can be of a blessing? Well, 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. However, is a prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. You think of Pentecost. It was that gift of tongues that came down that enabled people to be able to know what God was doing. It allowed people to understand everything that God was doing. Prophecy allows the church to understand what God is saying. And so they're quite different, but that's what Paul says about them. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, throughout the New Testament, tongues are given by the Spirit, but they are always directed to God. That's the way around. Prophecy is God speaking to us. Tongues is a language given so that we can speak back to God or declare the wonders of God so that other people can understand. But speaking in tongues can still cause problems. I've seen people devastated by the usage of tongues, and I'll explain why in a moment. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now I've told this story before, so apologies if you've heard it, but I had a friend a number of years ago who at that time was in his early 20s, recently become a Christian, um, really on fire for God, given his whole life over, his life had been transformed. And this well-meaning um, older Christian came alongside him and said, you need to pray for the gift of tongues. So he prayed. God didn't give him that gift. But this man said, because you have not had that gift of tongues, you are not a proper Christian. You've not actually received the Holy Spirit. You must speak in tongues to be a Christian. And it absolutely devastated this young man. At that point, it absolutely rocks his faith to the core. And I remember sitting down with him for ages saying, you know, that's not what the Bible says. That is clearly not what Paul is on about. Some have the gift of tongues, absolutely. And if you have them, let's use them. But other people don't. Other people have other gifts and let's use the gifts that God has given us. We just have to be so, so careful. Now, some of these miraculous gifts, either the gifts of tongues or the gifts of miracles or the gifts of healing, they can and should make the church look different to anything else that people encounter. We should look like people empowered by the Spirit of God. It will make us look different. It will make us look unusual. Is that not what the first century church looked like? If you read the New Testament and say, well, did the church do what we do? Probably not, because God will be speaking. The Spirit of God would be in their midst. Thank you to Irene for this quote, but I love this from Spurgeon. Common too common is the sin of forgetting the Holy Spirit. He is good. As God, he is supremely good. You know what the Spirit wants to do to the church and through the church is good, because God is good. We need not fear what the Spirit would do. But you know what? Sometimes we can fear what human beings will do. Sometimes as human beings, we can manipulate, we can get things wrong, we can get things out of kilter. But Paul says, the gifts are for the common good. They are for the building up of the body, not tearing down. So if gifts are tearing the body down, then we have to look at how they're being used. Paul says, they're to build us up for the common good. Paul is no fan of disorder or chaos. Absolutely not. Everything in decency... And in order, he will berate the Corinthians for their lack of discipline. But in an orderly way, the church is called to be spirit-filled, spirit-equipped, and spirit-empowered. Now, I said this a few weeks back when we were looking at the Holy Spirit. But if you do feel at any point in a service that actually God has laid something on your heart for the wider body to test and discern together, come and chat to whoever's leading the service, if it's a, or the preacher or one of the leadership team. And we'll um, discuss that and see if that's something to be shared. We need to hear what God is saying. We need to be plugged in to what the Spirit is doing. Moving on, there are more gifts. Some of these we'll go through quite quickly. Gifts of self-sacrifice. Voluntary poverty, celibacy and martyrdom. Voluntary poverty, I say voluntary because this is not the same as poverty that happens due to human neglect or any kind of other types of poverty. This is when somebody, by the Spirit, is enabled to live a very simple life so they can devote themselves to prayer and the Lord's service. Celibacy, the gift of being able to live singly with sexual desires under God's control to further serve the kingdom of God. And the gift of martyrdom, not one we talk about a lot. Um, But, you know, Forbes magazine gave a statistic not long ago that says, certainly in the time since we've been in the building today, at least one person will have been martyred for being a Christian. 13 people in any 24 hours period are martyred for their faith in Jesus. Just think about that. This is not people who are Christians being killed for other reasons. This is people who they are being killed simply because they refuse to renounce their faith. They are martyrs of the Christian faith. Now, we will never know if we have that gift until actually we're put to the test. But it's one that I would pray, Lord, if I need to, would you give me a faith that is strong enough in you to be able to even lay down my life for you? we move on. Gifts of organization and administration. You know, for the church to operate well, we need the organizers, don't we? We need the money managers. We need people who can do administration. Those who are gifted at making sure that we all know what's going on, that the church runs well, that the doors are open, and the heating's on, and all these kind of stuff, things. Now, I don't have the gift of administration. I think I was in the queue of um, opposite giftings when that was given out. Um, I have learnt to do basic admin um, and I have learned to try and make sure that my lack of admin gift doesn't cause other people pain. But it, it, it burdens me when I have to do admin. But I talk to other people, and they say, oh, I love a good spreadsheet. You know, it makes, it makes my heart sing when I open Excel. To me, it's like, oh, no, I have to do this. But we're all different, aren't we? God gives us different gifts. Then there are gifts of growth, missionary gifts, people who are called to go by the Spirit to wherever wherever it is, to proclaim the gospel. Gifts of giving. Now, I'm not talking about you know, just the standard every Christian should give and, and be generous to the, to the Lord's work, but people who just can't stop giving. You know, they just desire to give and give and give, whether it's money, whether it's um, their, their home, open for, for Christian service, whatever it is. And gift of faith. Um, that's the kind of gift that is not just the ordinary saving faith, but the kind of faith to cling on to Jesus, when things get really tough in in many kinds of different ways. Now, there are loads of other gifts that we could have gone through there, but I'm conscious it's already 10 to 12, and we need to keep moving forward. Um, So what gifts has God given me? Verse seven. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Now, what an amazing verse of inclusion, that all of us have been given gifts of the Spirit. All of us, in some way, if we seek it, will be equipped by God to help serve the church. But how do we know what gifts those are? Well, I will be sending round with the Bible study notes a spiritual gift questionnaire. You might have seen these things online. You can do that if that's helpful. Um, But these are just some very quick pointers. One is a passion for one of the gifts, one of those areas that we've looked at this morning. Now, I'm unlikely to be gifted in something that I have no interest in or not really any interest in. But having a passion for something doesn't always mean I'm going to be interested in that, going to be gifted in that either. Just to give an example, I have a real passion for youth work. Um, I have that passion for youth work because I see that I've got two teenage boys. I want them to come to know saving faith in Jesus and to have a lifelong life of discipleship. I also see it for all our other young people and want exactly the same for them. Personally, I'm not gifted at communicating with young people. And I see this when I go into chat and chill with George. Um, So I go in, perhaps once or twice a month into the high school. We've now got 40 young people coming at a lunchtime to that group. And when George speaks to them, a hush descends on the room, And they all listen. When I speak to them, they're all shouting at one another. (laughs) And he just shows me, actually, there are different gifts, aren't there? And it is so obvious. Some of us are called to do one thing. Some of us are called to do another. Affirmation of those around me. Are people blessed by the operation of the gifts of the Spirit that I'm using? I'm on the interview panel for prospective ministers um, coming through the Baptist sort of process, and I'm on the stage where they go. people come through to interview to me and to others when they're going to go on to a college. Um, and it's part of the discernment process. As, is this person going to be a blessing to the churches in which they're going to serve? Um, and it's a really important process, because actually if we're operating in the gifts that God has given us, it should be a blessing to others, shouldn't it? It should be a blessing because it's for the common good. Now, seeking affirmation from others, you know, going around and saying, was that all right? Was that good? Is is probably not the best thing to do. But having close friends or people we trust who will give us honest feedback about what we're up to in our lives, about how we're serving, is a real blessing and a real benefit. So affirmation of those around me. The voice of the Holy Spirit. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? How should we be serving? It may change through different parts of life. But what is God saying to me about what gifts God has given? Doing what makes my heart sing. I think I have told this story before, but it's worth telling again. Um, As a young adult and as a teenager, as a child, I always hated public speaking. I was one of those people, if you said, will you do a reading in church? You'd be like, absolutely No. You know, I'm quite happy playing the piano, that's my happy place. Um, Get me in front of people, and I really don't like it. I'm still pretty much the same, actually. I would much rather, in a sense, be playing the piano than I would stood up here. But I started to feel in my mid-twenties that God was calling me to to some kind of preaching ministry. And it was as I was sat there, um, listening to preachers, thinking, oh, I would have said something else on on that verse, or I would have said something slightly different. And it eventually got to the point, I was talking to Claire's dad, who was our associate minister at the time. He said, well, have a go, preach one Sunday night. So I thought, okay, um, give it a whirl, see what happens. It was awful, to be honest. It was really bad. There weren't that many people there and I spoke very quickly for about seven minutes and then sat down again. But he was very gracious and asked me to speak again. So I did and it was slightly less awful. And little by little, I felt that God was leading me. And God was equipping me to do something that in the natural, I would run away from. And I think sometimes, you know, you get to that point when actually you're down that road, and now I really enjoy doing it. I'm not always thoroughly enjoying being up here, but I love the prep. I love getting into God's Word. I love praying. I love seeking what God is saying to the church. And it's been interesting doing our warm space where people will come in and see me surrounded by these random piles of books. And I'm just there reading away and thinking... to some people that seems like the oddest thing in the world but to me it makes my heart sing. What makes your heart sing today? What has God given you that actually you can give back to him? It's all about him, it's not about us for the common good of the church that makes your heart sing. Whatever it is, let's get on with it so that we are all stronger as a result. Being willing to take risks. It's very easy as a church to play it safe. It's very easy as churches to say, well, let's just keep things exactly as they are. Let's not be disrupted by all this spiritual gift stuff. Let's just stay in our comfortable ways of doing things. But actually, God has always got more for us. Back to that letter at the beginning. If we want to be all that Christ has for us, we need to keep pressing in. We need to keep seeking God that actually all of us, anointed and powered by the Spirit for the common good, are doing what God has for us. So I just want to land here. Do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know what God has called you to do? What giftings, spiritual giftings the Holy Spirit has given you? If you want to chat that through, you know, come and talk to me, come and talk to Chris, one of the leaders, we'd love to pray with you. Um, our prayer ministry team will be at the back. You know, just, just pray with them this morning if that's something you would like prayer with. And then, uh, yeah, pray that God will guide you. And then thirdly, are you able to use the gifts that God has given you? See, sometimes God can put a gift in us and we can't quite work out how to use that or the context. It may be in the church. I know for some of us, it may be in um, Christian organizations in other places. It may be all over the place, whatever it is. But are you able to use those gifts? Again, come and chat and we'd love to to help you in how you can use the gifts that God has given you. Can I just ask the, the worship team to come forward? I'm just going to pray for us. And I'm just going to pray that God will continue to stir in us, whatever it is, That his spirit would do in us through us in our hearts and by gifting and equipping us so let's pray Holy Spirit we thank you that you are the gracious gift giver to the church to build us up to enrich us to grow us and Lord we acknowledge this morning that when we fail to pursue the gifts we are actually so much weaker as a result that we don't have the power that you intend us to have. So Lord, would you just anoint us afresh by your Holy Spirit this morning? Would you open our hearts to receive whatever it is you would plant into us? Would you give us the courage and the boldness to step out into whoever it is that you have called us to be? And Lord, would you help us to remember that it's not for our glorification, but it's for the common good and to see the name of Jesus glorified. So Holy Spirit, just continue to minister just as we sing our next song, Lord, would you you be very present amongst us for Jesus' sake.